Um, my voice is a little froggy. Remember last week, Mitch asked who gave him a cold? Well, you know, he passed it around. So uh, my wife's been sick too. So I don't know if, you know, that's one thing with families. We all share alike, right? You know, we're one big family and we share with each other. So we get things like that. You know, one of the things that I've noticed that we share is we share technologically. Like if you have something that you really like, sometimes we'll, people will send it to you and they'll say, if you really like this, push what? Push send. Anybody ever, anybody send a message like that to you? Come on, probably everybody in this room has had one. I won't ask if you ever sent one. I'm kind of a party pooper. Even if I like the message, I don't think I've ever pushed a send. I just, I, I just don't for whatever reason. But, but, you know, there is a message, metaphorically, that I always push send on. And, and that's the message of the Bible, of the gospel. I mean, that's a message that we should be pushing send on in terms of how we live our lives and telling all those people around us about that message. Because we want to keep it going, right? We want to keep passing on. That's the whole idea of you push send so as many people as possible that know. So you send one person who sends another person who sends another person. Well, that's what God wants us to do, isn't it? And that's exactly what Paul's going to talk about today as we move into week two of our series called Finish. Uh, Paul is in the notorious Mamertine prison in Rome. It's basically dungeon quarters. And he knows that Emperor Nero literally wants his head. He's going to execute him. So when you know you're going to die, what do you write? He writes his last letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy has become one of the primary leaders in the church. He oversees Ephesus, which because of its centrality and now in, in these days in Turkey is becoming like the informal headquarters of Christianity Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem is under warfare, so he's becoming a really prominent guy. And so he sends this to him and he says, I want you to finish strong, Timothy. He says, I want to tell you this, I intend to finish my life strong. And I want you to finish your life strong. And he writes this as a formal letter. So he knows that, you know, that the way it's written is, I want you to share this with everybody around you. And I want you to get the point that you know, we need to finish our life strong. Now, it applies to us in a lot of different ways. I mean, in some ways, it's just finishing whatever you're doing. Finishing the project you're working at at home or the project you're doing at work. Maybe it's finishing up the water polo season. We've got a couple water polo people here that are in the finals or football or in the playoffs. Or maybe it's, you know, finishing that conversation that you need to have with your, with, with your spouse or or it could be any number of things that you're trying to finish up in your life. But certainly it relates to ministry, whatever ministry you're doing in church or life to finish it up. And most importantly, it relates to your life. Are you going to finish your life strong? And Paul said last week that if we're going to finish our life strong, we need to be willing to suffer because we will suffer. And then this week, he says, you know, basically, if I finish my life and that's where it ends, then what happens to the message? It doesn't go anywhere. So Paul says, we've got to push send on this message and keep it going. And that's what he's going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and then next week we'll look at uh, verses 8 through 13. Uh, kind of a similar topic, kind of a one-two punch, I guess you could say. Let's read it together. It says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. We need to be faithful to the message that God has given us, and we need to pass it on. And we do that, first of all, as we see in verse 1, is we need to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. And he, he talks about the fact that God gives us strength, and he says that, you know, he says again, my son, he keeps calling him my son, so you can see the bond that these guys have. He goes, but you, I want you to have this, this strength, and you have this strength, and your strength is in Jesus Christ, and it comes by grace. There's nothing you can do to earn the strength that God has given you at this point. You're in a relationship with him, and that strength is there. It's kind of interesting because it's similar to when we talk about salvation. When we talk about salvation, we say that you are saved by grace through faith, right? There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Uh, we recognize that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all imperfect people. And the wages of sin, Paul says, is death, that we deserve to die. We deserve not to have anything. We're so, you know, we're like ants compared to God. And yet God in his grace and his love and his mercy sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Died on the cross, rose from the grave, that if you come into relationship with him, if you receive the gift of salvation, um, you can live with him forever, and you can have his power guiding you in your life today. If you haven't ever experienced that, I encourage you to come and talk to us about that. You know, that's what he's talking about. That's the greatest gift, but he's saying, now that you have that gift, you have the strength that comes with that gift. You now have supernatural power inside of you. And there's some bad theology out there where people feel like, oh, God has to help me. And we, we kind of grovel in the mud, you know, oh, God, please help me. Please give me the strength I need. The strength is there, and God wants you to have it. He will not call you to do something he won't enable you to do. And so we just need to activate that strength. And we activate it by doing what he says to do. God says we should, you know, pass this message on. So he'll give you the ability to do it. So then just do it. Tell other people. Maybe it's a little scary at first, but he'll give you the power to do what he's asking you to do by his grace. And so the, the first question we really need to, to say out from the very beginning is, are you exercising the strength that God has given you? Just like we exercise, are you exercising the strength? You know, we need to be doing that in our life. And, and how do you do that? You know, you, you're just in your constant communication with God. And working with him, because the only thing that will keep you from having the strength, the only thing that's going to keep you from having the strength is if you're not communicating regularly with God and you have sin in your life, you have something that's, you know, you're doing against God and your heart is impure, then that's going to keep you from being able to exercise your strength. So you make sure you're right on that. And, you know, we don't have to, you know, beg God for a strength. We activate it, as we've said. But one of the things that God delights in is seeing us putting our dependence on him. 
Um, and that happens a lot just even through prayer. So much of this is just talking to God through prayer. I was reading recently about the Punjabi people in Pakistan and how they, they had many people come to know the Christ and they, they were just, they didn't know what they were doing. So all they did was they prayed. And as they prayed and they depended on God, God showed them what to do. And then they trusted him and he gave them the strength to do it. And so I encourage you to pray. Um, there's nothing magical about it. It's just something that we do. We're having a prayer meeting a week from Monday on Veterans Day at our home. So just want to remind you of that. It'll be at 6.30. You're all invited. If you all want to come, boy, we're not going to have very much room. But hey, we'll make it work. That would be a wonderful thing. But I encourage you to just come and pray because... You know, people will say sometimes like, well, you know, why, don't we, why doesn't this happen or why doesn't that happen? Well, you know, the starting place is prayer. Let's get together and pray and see what God will do. So we pray to God. We depend on him. He gives us the strength we need to do what he wants us to do. So Paul is saying at the beginning, this is where we start. And then he gets very specific. What we need to do is that we need to entrust biblical teaching to reliable people. That's one of my favorite verses in scripture. It's pretty exciting. He, he, he says, the things you've heard me say, you know, you've heard me, Timothy, you've heard me talk for like 15 years or more. And you've heard me talk to so many different people. And you've heard the message. The message that I'm giving you comes from the Old Testament. The message that I'm giving you comes from what Peter taught me and what John taught me, what Ananias taught me and, and what they learned from Jesus. And today it would be what we call the Bible. The message that you have from the Bible and the different things you've learned from different people, what you've learned, I want you to entrust it to somebody. To entrust is a strong word. Um, it means to commit something to somebody that you truly trust so that they will accomplish it. And then they pass it on. When um, Terry's uncle Rocky was in the U.S. Marine Corps during World War II, he told me one of the first things they asked him to do was to, to take a, an attache case and deliver it for them. But it wasn't any attache case. They gave it to him and they handcuffed it to him. And he had to fly across country in a jet handcuffed to this attache case. And then he got to a certain place and he had to hand it off and he didn't even know what was in it. But he accomplished what they asked him to do. You see, God is looking for reliable people like that and he wants to chain the gospel to our hearts. And the biggest difference is he wants everybody to know what's inside it. And he is entrusting you to go across the country and any place you go to in your life and pass on that message. He's looking for reliable people to do it. So when we pass on this message, we can't just ask anybody. You know, I've made a mistake before where I think this person's really engaging and likable and fun. I think maybe I'll ask them if I can train them, teach them the things God has taught me. Or this person, uh, they have a lot of problems, but they're a really nice person, and this may be an opportunity for them. And yet these are people that you can kind of tell they're not going to follow through. They just don't have any commitment. You've got to find people that are committed, and sometimes it'll surprise you who they are, but you look for people that you know are going to be faithful to pass on the message that has been given to them. They're going to be qualified to keep passing it on. It's actually, a, a, you know, it's kind of a natural process. Um, Robert Coleman, the great scholar and missionary statesman, calls this the multiplication of discipleship. You train others who train others who train others. We've talked about this before. In, in the NFL, they call it the coaching tree, right? 
You know, you have coaches who train coaches who now train coaches, and they keep going to different teams and expanding. It's just a very natural process. In our house, you know, most of you know we use our house as an Airbnb. So we had some guests in our house at our Airbnb, and they were, they were climbers. They were like mountain climbers and outdoors people, and they were in this club and all this stuff, and they're really nice people and really, really interesting people. But I was talking to one of them. It's kind of alarming. He says, basically, what we do is, you know, I mean, basically what he said in some is that we worship creation. We worship nature and each other. That's what our life's all about, enjoying nature and taking care of each other and trying to get other people to do the same. And he said, you know what? I can trace my lineage all the way back to John Muir. Like, well, that's kind of interesting. So he says, and I don't know if John Muir taught, believe that or not, but you know, he's saying he can, everybody just can't, they pass it down and pass it down and pass it down. He says, this is what I'm all about. Now, it's kind of sad that's what he's all about. You know, that's such a limited thing. Uh, it excludes so many people. It's all just about you. It doesn't save people's lives for eternity. Closest these guys are going to get to heaven is uh, Mount Everest, right? But, but um, I, I got to thinking about that. I thought, well, what about my spiritual heritage? Can I trace it back? And I started tracing it back. I, I had some fun with this. I had some fun with this because there were reliable people who worked with me. And I, I can go back and I can tell you when I was a freshman in college, I had a senior in college took me under his wing and, and, he, and he taught me the basics of the Christian faith. His name was Terry Hensley. He's um, now the director of construction with Human Lake Christian Conference Center. And Terry, he, he was trained by a guy named J.P. Jones. And, and J.P. is the lead pastor at um, Crossway Community Church in El Toro and he's an adjunct professor at Talbot. And then JP and really all of us were trained by Don Wilcox, who I consider my main mentor. He worked for over 20 years with college students, both in the United States and internationally. He's now in retirement. And, and Don was trained by John Bruce, who was the campus director with Campus Crusade for Christ in the Jesus People movement at Cal Berkeley. They had hundreds that were being baptized um, there at, at the fountain at Cal Berkeley during the 70s. And John started a church uh, that's still going strong in San Leandro. His son pastors it now. And he was trained by Cal Myatt, who was a high school, um, he, was, he was a high school coach, you know, track coach and history teacher at Bakersfield High School. And he'd gotten his training through the ministry of Bill Bright, who was the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ. And he had worked with Henrietta Mears and with Louis Evans Jr. at the Presbyt at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. You start tracing the Presbyterian back, you go back to their founder, John Knox, in Scotland, who was trained by John Calvin, and now all of a sudden you're back to the reformers. Now we lose it somewhere in there, but ultimately I could probably, one day when I get to heaven, I'll trace it all the way back to Jesus. Is that cool? That's how the gospel gets spread on. That's what happens. That's what God does. It works the other way too. You know, you look at the examples of scripture. Look at, look at um, Jesus works with Peter, right? Well, who's Peter work with? Well, it appears he had influences on guys like Silas and Barnabas and John Mark. And then Barnabas works with John Mark and Barnabas works with who else? Paul. He mentors Paul. And Paul mentors Timothy and Titus and Luke. Does it get kind of exciting? You know, I'll tell you one more. John. John, we see some extra biblical things. John actually worked with Polycarp. Polycarp, one, he headed up one of the churches under Timothy. He's not in the Bible. He died in his 80s. 
He burned to death at a stake for Jesus Christ. And Polycarp worked with Irenaeus, who was one of the great writers and teachers at that time. Um, and then Irenaeus with Papias, and Papias with Herodotus. You see what I'm saying? This is, God is doing some pretty, pretty powerful things through the years. Um, and it's so rewarding to work with people. So I'll tell you one other interesting thing that happened, and all this is happening, and I'm studying this, and all of a sudden my friend comes to visit me, and I remember more. When I was 19, I was assigned to work with a guy who was 18 named Jim Day. And Jim Day just came to visit me two weeks ago from Virginia. And you know what? Jim became my best friend. He was, he was the best man at my wedding. I, I, I performed his wedding. He and his wife, Chris, are dear friends of ours, and they, they came out and spent some time with us. Jim today, um, he is the, the chairman of the Board of Elders, just helped them at their church back in Virginia, just helped them make a transition into uh, new leadership. And he's heading up a discipleship ministry for men. I'm just rewarding that kind of stuff. So the question I have for you is where are you at in the discipleship process? Now, if we look at this in context, Paul is speaking primarily to leaders, right? He's speaking more to Timothy to train other pastors and elders to do leadership. And so a lot of this is, is on us. You know, we're, we're supposed to train others. And as a lead pastor, um, I'm peers with, I, I think of Clifton and Mitch as my peers, but I'm still their older brother in Christ, and hopefully I mentor them in some ways, and, and we have a great relationship, and then we try to train you guys as much as we can. We have some people that have gone through, we, we have what we call the next steps, which is just a program. It can go three weeks, three months, and it can go, you know, longer than that, depending on your schedules, but the whole idea is to train men in this way so that they can train other men, and ultimately, we have guys that are going through that that we'd like to eventually take through some basic training for elders so we can have elders in our church. Will you pray for those guys? We want to get some elders that are well-trained, just like the Bible says. And how about you? You know, do you want to grow more in your faith? A lot of this isn't, it doesn't always have to be formal. It's informal. What he's saying here can be formal like in leadership, but it can be informal in every life. Everybody here has somebody in your life that you can teach what you've learned, even if you just teach them what you learned today. How about your kids? Do you read the Bible to your kids at night? Do you talk to them like Moses says in Deuteronomy when they get up, when, when, they st when you stand up, when you lay down, when you walk on the way? Do you talk to them about the Lord as a way of life? How about your spouse, husbands and wife teaching each other? what you're learning, and the friends that you meet. And you say, well, what do I do if somebody doesn't know the Lord and wants to know more about them, or somebody does, has just come to know the Lord, what do I do? We have a little booklet called The Walk that tells you all the basics. Teach them the basics of their faith. That's where you start. If anybody's never gone through that, you should all go through that. Just come and talk to me, and we'll make sure that we get you to go through that. So those, those are the very basics, but think through what you're doing. Now, remember that what he's saying here, and this is a very careful thing, even though we've talked about all these people and how fascinating it is, and certainly different people will influence you based on who they are, ultimately the, the purpose of discipleship is not for anybody to be discipled by me, but for you to be discipled by Jesus. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example um, as I follow the example of Christ, as I follow the example of Jesus. And so that's what we ultimately want to do. Now, we spent a little bit more time there because this is the most important thing we're talking about today. Now, the rest of it is how do we make sure that this happens? How do we make sure this happens? Well, 
we've got to endure hardship like a good soldier. Paul knows it's going to be difficult. And the word endure hardship means that we should be, um, literally, that we should sh- take a share uh, of suffering. You know, we, we want to be able to go through suffering for Jesus. Now, soldier, he works really hard. There's some suffering there. And a soldier, you know, can get shot at and everything else. So it's, it's a tough job. And he says a soldier should not be involved in the affairs, in civilian affairs. And the word for involved is literally entangled. So if a guy's fighting in, in a battle and the guy's coming at him, he, he wants to go, you know, take his sword out, right? He's going to grab his sword and he's going to pull it out. But if his sword gets entangled in his coat, he can't get it out. And he's in trouble. He's not going to win that battle. He says, don't let your sword get entangled in the ways of the world. And the reason why is because you need to listen to your commanding officer. Who is our commanding officer? God is our commanding officer. We need to listen to him. And if we get distracted in the ways of the world, we won't be listening to the God of the universe. You see what he's saying here? Now, this is an interesting thing. If, if you understand military, and my friend Jim, I was just talking about, he was a military man for 30 years. He retired as a colonel um, out of the Pentagon with the U.S. Army. And Jim, you know, he says he's never felt so free in his life. He says, when you're in the military, you don't realize it, but they control everything. And we've had some of you here who have been in the military. I mean, they basically control where you live and when you get up and when you go to bed in some cases and who you spend time with. And, you know, my friend... He didn't get married till he was older, and the reason why is because he went in as a single officer, and there weren't a lot of single lady officers, and he wasn't allowed to fraternize with the, the other ladies, with the younger ladies. So, it, I mean, they control everything you're doing. And that's what he's basically saying here is that God is the one who's in control of what we're doing. And we, don't, we need not to forget that, because if we get too caught up in these other things, it's going to bring us down. Now, this is... Usually the way to take this, I mean, the natural way just out of the gates is, you know, don't, you know, watch out for being involved in the world that we live in. You know, try to get yourself a little bit away from it. But the problem with that is, is that Paul will later say in Romans chapter 14 and 15 that you have the freedom to do whatever you want in Christ. And so what, what do we do? You know, one generation, if you ever notice we play hopscotch, at least in our culture, every generation is different. One generation says, can't do anything. Next generation says, can do everything. Next generation, can't do anything. Next generation, you can do everything. And, and they're both wrong. And somehow we need to find that balance, and we live, we live in that tension. But we need to make sure the idea is, is that we're not so distracted by what's going on in our world that we're not spending time passing on the message of Jesus. We're not talking to people about Jesus. We don't get to the point where we never talk to people about Jesus because all we can talk about is the latest football game or the latest movie, you know, and we never end up talking about Jesus because we've gotten caught up and entangled in our world. See, see how that can happen? So it's a balance. I think we live at a time where we're probably a little bit um, too loose on how we do things, you know, and so we need to be careful. Are we entangled with the ways of our world? And I think one way to look at this primarily is, is the world so much part of what you do that you're not really spending that much time talking to people about Jesus? Or you're not spending, you know, you're not in a small group, you're not involved in relationships with people for the purpose of Christ, and you're just doing all the things that the world would do. And another thing is just to, just to think through your mind, you know, the extremes. I, 
Take, take a movies, for example, okay? What do you watch? One person says, anything. I have freedom in Christ. Well, you do have freedom in Christ. I'll watch anything. The other person says, nothing. Well, yeah, you got to be careful what you watch, too. The, the answer is somewhere in between. The answer is somewhere in between. And you guys have to wrestle with this in every topic. Um, I'll tell you, I may be weaker than some of you spiritually, but I find the older I get, the less I'm able to watch some of the garbage that's out there, even on television. Because I watch it, and I come away, my mind is just seared with these bad thoughts. You know, sexual innuendos, and you know, clothing that's kind of sketchy, and language, and graphic violence, or sex, or whatever. And, and then I wake up the next morning, and I'm not thinking of my commander right? I'm thinking about some really bad stuff, and that's, that begins to distract me and keep my mind from where it's supposed to be. So each of you have to answer on your own, whether it be music, whether it be diets, whether it be conversations, you know, anything you can think of, politics, you got you to figure out, we're not, like, we're not like other religions where everybody just tells you you have to do this, this, and this. Jesus says, you have the Holy Spirit to guide you, and you have the Bible to guide you. But boy, you better be careful, because if this world starts winning the battle, it's going to consume you, and you're going to end up at the end of the day not, not following your commander and not getting done what he wants you to get done. You're going to spend your time doing stuff he doesn't want you to do. So we've got to be very careful there. And then the next thing he says um, is he says, uh, compete according to the rules. And he talks about an athlete, and the word he uses is athlete, from which we get athlete from. And he says that an athlete, what does an athlete want to do? He wants to, some of you guys are athletes, right? Logan, Caden, what do you guys want to do when you get out there? You want to win, right? You want to win. A good athlete wants to win. They do the best that they can to win. And what they want to win, he says, is a crown. There's two Greek words for crown. Diadem is the crown that a king or queen gets. Stephanus. If anybody has a name, Stephanie or Stephen, comes from Stephanus. And Stephanus means a wreath that you put around your head. Now, these days, if somebody wins the Olympic Games, they get medals, right? And you have three guys get medals. In those days, only one person got the prize. And that was the wreath. I mean, the way things are going, pretty soon everybody's going to get a medal, so we don't hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, but in those days, only one person got the wreath. And that was the one who won the race. Now you say, well, that doesn't work. The analogy doesn't work because if only one person wins, then why try? I mean, we're not all going to win the prize. There's too many people that are following Christ. But as you follow this later, the analogy does work because what, what Jesus says and what Paul is basically saying here is that each of you is running a race, but you're not running a race against anybody else. Each of you are running a race against yourself. We're looking for your personal best time. And God is going to be watching you about how well you do with what he's given and called you to do. And if you do well, you will win a wreath. You will win a prize. And that, that's what he's talking about here. And so the problem is, is that you can get disqualified and not win a prize because you didn't follow the rules. Anybody ever been disqualified from anything? This boy has. You know, I, told, I tell my old wrestling story sometimes. I'll tell you, you know how my wrestling career ended? I was, 
Oz 190, we didn't have 191 pounder. For those of you who understand wrestling, today there's 100, 178, I, I don't know if it's exact, but 178, 184, 191 pounds. Those days they didn't have 184. And we didn't have anybody wrestle 191, so I wrestled 191. I was only 172 pounds at one point, but I was wrestling 191. And then the season ended, and I decided to go down to 178. My coach says, you better be careful, because it's going to be a very different. They're going to be a lot faster. You're going to have trouble adjusting. But I was bound and determined. So I went down to 178, blew my first guy away. My second guy beat me in overtime, controversial match, got in my head. I'd had some injuries and other stuff, but no real excuses. I got confused. I missed my match. And when I went there, they didn't accommodate me. It's not like, it's not like when they take people's you know, medals away, you know, gold medals, they take them away, and then they give them back you know, and have a big ceremony and make people pay to come, and they, the Olympic Committee gets a lot of money. Um, it wasn't like that. They didn't accommodate me. I didn't, get it. I didn't get it back. It was over. All done. All done. No more wrestling for me. That's how it ended. I was 17 years old. Do you think that bothered me? I had nightmares about that for seven years. I counted it one time. They, they stopped after seven years. That just ate away at my soul. And so when I think about this issue, I think, Lord, I don't, I don't ever want to be disqualified again. Because wrestling is pretty stupid, really. It's just a game, no different than dominoes that people have just made into something big. But I want to finish my life strong because this is about eternity. This is about serving the living God of the universe. Are we, are we competing according to the rules? We better be. You know, our hearts need to be pure. We need to confess our sins. We need to know what the Bible says so that we're doing what God wants us to do. One time, one time, Carrie and I went for Christmas and we forgot the presents. And we were too far to go back. And it was the worst Christmas ever. Because everybody's giving us presents, but we're not giving them. And I'm just feeling guilted, right? I was horrible. When I get to heaven, I have a whole, I, I want to have a whole truckload of stuff that I can say to God, God, this is what I did for you. I don't want to come empty-handed. This is what I did for you. And I know I'll get a prize in return, but, but that prize is less important than being able to say, this is what I did for you. Not for me, because if I do it for me, I lose it anyway. It needs to be pure. Our hearts need, and heads need to be pure. I'm reading a great book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Tim Keller said that, uh, he's a well-known preacher back east, and, and he said that one time this guy came to me, he says, I noticed that whenever you're less prepared, you always have a lot of C.S. Lewis quotes. And he goes, yeah, that's true. And he said, the reason before that is he says, C.S. Lewis is my hero. He says, I've read everything he's written. I've memorized some of it. And I use his quotes all the time. And if I'm in trouble, I just use it as a fallback. He says, you know, I've gotten to know C.S. Lewis so much that sometimes I feel like I almost know what he would say and what he would do in each situation. He said, oh, that we might have that same attitude with Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus well enough to know what he would say and do in each situation? Maybe you do know a lot about the talk show host. Or maybe you have a favorite author. Or maybe you have a favorite speaker and you can tell me everything about those people. 
or maybe some historical figure. You can tell me everything about them. But can you tell me the same thing about Jesus? We should know Jesus so well that it isn't that difficult making decisions because most of the time we just kind of know what Jesus would do. We need to know him so when we know him, we won't be disqualified. But if we, if we aren't following him, we're going to do things that disqualify us. We're going to do things for ourselves. We're going to let sin creep in. And we're going to do things that aren't what the Bible says we should do. The last thing he says is, is work hard like a farmer. This was added for people living in Oakdale. <laughs> you know, farmers work hard. I went down to Stan Wagner's branch a couple years ago and was working with them a little bit. Man, man, man these, these guys work hard. And, and it's not just, it's, it's all the time. Uh, Mike, Mike did a great job today with his uh, interview. Good job, Mike. And, and Mike and, and Caesar, remember, Ruvacava, we were talking, you guys worked on dairy farms. And these guys are telling me about their dairy farm experience. I'm like, boy, man, you know, I mean, I used to watch the Saturday morning cartoons. These guys, whole different world, you know I mean? They're getting up and they're getting all this stuff going. And, and then, you know, you got to mend the fence or you got to fix the tractor or whatever. So there's work all the time. And the basic idea of this is saying that there's work all the time. And for pastors, there's, there's work all the time. You know I mean? Whether you're reading or studying or praying or counseling or visiting people or whatever, you know, you, you're, there's always something you're doing. And for each of you, there's work all the time. You know, we never really take a break in our Christian walk. We're always thinking about Jesus, always praying to him, always talking to him, learning from him. No matter what we're doing, whether we're watching movies or reading books, or you know, he should always be in our mind. We should always be aware of him, and he should be part of that process. We should welcome him into whatever we're doing. Um, and and he says here... Um, is he says that the problem with this is it's just like a farmer. You can have a farmer who's a really good guy and works hard and another guy who isn't as good a guy and doesn't work as hard, but a lot of times the, the land and the weather will determine how well they do in farming, right? And that can happen in ministry too. Sometimes ministry isn't as great as it looks like it's going to be. Sometimes different circumstances keep things from going as well as they might in some other scenario. But the promise basically is, is God will reward you for your faithfulness. Your job is to work and do the very best that you can do with God, with what God is calling you to do. Um, so, so he's, you know, he, he's telling them to be faithful. Um, Paul concludes by encouraging Timothy to meditate on what he's heard. And, you know, when he's talking about meditating, it's not like, oh, you know, like, that, you know, like <laughs> yoga, oh, Timothy, get down in your position here, cross your legs, oh, no, you know, block everything out of your head and just see what comes in. You know, he's saying, Timothy, concentrate on God and who he is. Concentrate on everything I've told you right now and remember it. And remember it, because this is the stuff I want you to pass on. So let's look specifically at this last area here. Are we working hard? You know, at MVC, we've tried to simplify church, and this is why. Because you are ministering as mothers with your children during the day, as you're nursing them, as you're playing with them. Uh, you are ministering to one another as husbands and wives. You are playing with your kids. You, you, you know, I mean, that's all part of it. I mean, it seems so simple. Those are the basic things, but that's ministry. Ministry is what you do when you talk, share your faith with your neighbor and the, 
you know, eight to 15 people that are probably closest to you. Ministry is what you do at work. Ministry is what you do when you coach a team or you're involved with some kind of ministry, some kind of outreach in the community. That's all ministry. And so we encourage you to make that ministry. And, and we say at church, we say, well, you got about three hours that we want from you a week. You know, maybe an hour and a half on Sunday morning and then go to a small group. You say, well, and that maybe goes an hour and a half or more. And you go, well, that doesn't quite figure out the numbers and all. Well, that's because you, you, you've got to average it out over a year. So over a year, small groups take breaks for holidays and summers. But over the course of a year, you're probably averaging out about three hours a, a, a week. Not that much, is it? But then what happens is, you know, we need to be willing to, to do more. Sometimes we need to push ourselves a little bit more. Maybe get into a group where we're getting discipled and we're growing more in our relationship with Christ. And it may be just be for a season. It's hard work, but we do that. Maybe you're not in a small group yet, so you, you push yourself and say, I'm going to push myself to get in a small group. Maybe it's something else you can push yourself in. Maybe you can push yourself in helping with worship, or, or maybe you can push yourself in helping with welcoming or helping with our kids on Sunday morning. I'm talking to Shelly here. And Shelly's going to stay up afterwards. She'll receive anybody who wants to come forward. Um, so, you know, but anybody that can help with the kids, that'd be great. Or with youth, with Clifton. Uh, there's so many places that you can serve. I remember, you know, you're talking about sports and wrestling. I, I do remember that in wrestling, we used to do at the end of practice, we do this thing called the 10-minute drill which sometimes went 20 minutes. I'm not kidding. It was just crazy. And, and my coach, I still hear him yelling at me. He'd say, how bad do you want it, gentlemen? How bad do you want it? And then again, you know, I think, how bad did I want what? You know, <laughs> I mean, now at my age, it's like, really? Um, but, but how bad do you want to serve God? How bad do you want to live for him? You know, we'll do anything for careers and business and family and, you know, money and, yeah, you fill in the blanks, but how much are we willing to put him first? How much are we willing to put in the little extra for Jesus Christ and what we do? And then meditate on these things. You know, we can wrap this whole thing up by saying, remember that the, the thing is God gives you the strength and he gives you the strength to pass on his message. You need to take what's been given to you to somebody else so they can take it to somebody else. And you're only going to be consistent and faithful in doing that if you do it like a soldier. You cut out those things that are going to slow you down in this world and you make your focus on God. If you do it as an athlete, you make sure that you're doing it according to God's word. Your heart is pure. You've confessed your sins. You know what Jesus wants you to do. And you work hard. You're willing to put in that extra work. You see your whole life, everything you do is in the presence of God. And if you can do anything extra, you're saying, God, what else would you have me do? And you think about these things that we've talked about today. Go home, think about them. If you take notes, look at them. And then talk about them with each other. And say, what did I learn today? And, and how can I pass that on to somebody else? We've got a great message here. Uh, the most important message in human history. And it's time for all of us to push send. You join me in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this incredible message that Paul gives us. Um, the secret, the secret to the expansion of the world Christian movement as we know it today is no longer a secret because we were just revealed it this morning. It's people taking what they've learned from you 
and passing it on to others, who pass it on to others faithfully, like soldiers, like athletes, like farmers, learning from it and just keep learning and keep passing it on. Lord, may we be found faithful when we stand before you and say that we've done what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.